So we have final words from the author. These, these final words are interesting because there's a strong element of both what, what humans do to hold fast, these sort of instructions that he's giving, but there's also a very strong sense, as we alluded to already, that all of this is really God's doing. And therefore, the passage is sort of broken down with these two themes in mind. We have our instructions that we need to hold fast. That's the, the content that is being spoken. Do this, pray, right? Uh, that's, and, and again, some of this would apply to some of what Gilson was saying last week as well. And then we have this kind of idea that's sort of infused really in it that it's our God who is actually enabling us to do all of this This. this uh, instruction in and of itself. So uh, that's kind of how we're going to look at it this morning. So let's jump right into it. Let's look at some of our, our instructions here. Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So, so first here we see that we're holding fast by continually praising God in all of life's circumstances. Now, mind you, the Hebrews are being persecuted here. They're struggling, debating whether or not they should really press on. And the prior verse, uh, just, just before this, indicates that the suffering of the saint isn't permanent. The saint endures because they seek a future city, one that is uh, to come. Not as those living for this life, but instead living a firm, steadfast uh, unshakable uh, life that is rooted in the kingdom city that is to come, that is theirs. A certain reality to come for every single saint because of Christ's work. Verse 12 indicates that too, that this was Christ's uh, doing. Uh, so it's with these facts in mind uh, from the prior, prior section in the prior verse that they're told, therefore, to offer up sacrifices to praise God, to give thanks to God. The author beckons them, praise God. These are the, some of the final instructions in this last portion of this, this letter. What does this indicate? That the method of holding fast is looking to Christ's work, knowing it provides, provides this eternal future city for us, and praising God for what he has done. Praising God for the finished work of Jesus Christ is the way we hold fast, brothers and sisters. Recognizing the beauty of the gospel, having a heart of thanksgiving, of continual praise. Letting it wash over us, the truth of the gospel, wash over us once again. And, and look at the text. What is it that allows us to praise God and to thank God despite all that, that, that we're going through? It says in our verse that the praise was through him. What's the hymn there? That, that is Jesus, I think according to verse 12, who sanctified us, who did this work that, that brought forth this, this guaranteed city. We're instructed, friends, therefore, to pause, to meditate upon this work, to meditate upon the gospel, and then give thanks through Jesus Christ to God for the work. Friends, if you want to hold fast... If, if you want to follow any of these instructions, it will be done not through willpower. It will be done not through trying harder. It will be done not through brute force, but it will be done by praising God for Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. If you try to sacrifice anything before, before the Lord with, without doing it through Christ, it's really it's filthy rags to him. You want, you want to hold fast? Look to the cross and praise God for it. The war to hold fast is not one of brute forcing it, but it is a battle primarily 
of thankfulness unto God despite circumstances for Jesus Christ. And it's to be done continually, we see. It says in our text to praise God through Christ, to, re- to rehearse the gospel frequently, to, to, to praise God constantly and continually. Praise God for Jesus Christ's work continually. Remember the Old Testament, uh, the old, old sacrificial system, the sacrifice for the appeasement of sin, for our sins. It was kind of continual, never-ending, had to be done uh, yearly and, and daily. And it's never-ending attempt to appease God through animal blood. And now Jesus, we've just seen in all of Hebrews, is that ultimate atoning sacrifice that made, made peace to God uh, made peace with, with God on behalf of humanity. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. The author has made it clear that Jesus' sacrifice cleansed sin. And so I find, it that, I find that there's great irony here in this new understanding of a continual sacrifice that we're to give. Look at the new type of continual sacrifice. It is characterized as a sacrifice not for our sins. Jesus was that sacrifice. The author has made that clear. Rather, it is a sacrifice we give to God now as saints as a thanksgiving sacrifice. In all circumstances, we can offer up unending praise in thanksgiving because of this awesome work that's been done for us. Despite what's going on, despite the persecution we face, when a loved one dies, when, when you lose your job, when, when you're in prison for the faith, whatever befalls you, know con- that we can continually give thanks and praise to God through Jesus Christ. Period. Moving on to the next verse, we see that we hold fast by doing good deeds that please God. And it says, and do not neglect doing good deeds good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased now I think the position of this verse is really important it's right after this grand idea of sacrifice of praise characterized by thanksgiving and the author says something uh, interesting the author is sort of saying offer up a sacrifice of praise and don't forget to do good and share this is totally connected to how saints worship it's connected by the and, right? This verse starts with an and. It carries over the language of sacrifice we just saw in the previous verse. This is all to say that good works do not cause salvation, but salvation necessarily results in good works that please God. One who holds fast to Christ is mindful of the calling that every Christian has to do good works. The gospel, it's sort of a package deal. He saves us from hell and judgment, yes, but he transforms us in Christ to flourish, to do the good that we were designed to do. I believe part of human flourishing and purpose are these good works that, that, uh, that God has set up for us. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says that uh, we are his workmanship, again, totally God's work, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Doing the good works, again, doesn't save, but it's, it's crucial. It's a crucial result of the transforming that happens when we're actually in Christ. The author also mentions specifically here sharing. This sort of thing goes against, directly against this idea that life is all about me. It's... it's uh, you know, not coincidental that, you know, and sharing is mentioned here. 
Uh, one uh, commentator says, the word share almost certainly refers to giving to uh, meet material needs of others. Uh, in Philippians 4.18, the gift the Philippians gave for Paul's ministry is described as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. The readers needed to be reminded about the importance of looking outside of themselves and caring for others. This was that reminder for them. That the new Christian life, those who are in Christ, they're new creatures, that it's characterized as one that is no longer self-centered. When God transforms us, you see, we're freed to do good, free to share in a way that actually pleases God. It says that these, God is pleased with these sacrifices. And all of this stems because of the great gospel gift that we've received. We freely share because we ourselves have been generously shared with through Jesus Christ. See, we don't, I don't need to hoard my money anymore in this new life. I can give things away because I've been given the greatest treasure. I have that guaranteed city. This is all in light of Christ's work. The gospel, it transforms people in this way when you get it. And so it necessarily will cause good works and sharing in us, not for salvation, but because of salvation. We know anyone who loves Jesus will obey his commands and his will, and they'll bear much fruit. A great kind of corollary passage to kind of uh, check out and read at home is, is John 15. I love John 15. You will not produce good works without doing so in and through Jesus Christ. That's what makes the works good. That is what makes them pleasing and acceptable to God. So, so here's kind of the point. You don't please God without Jesus, but in Jesus, and by really getting the gospel, you'll necessarily do works that are pleasing. So, so if you want to hold fast to Christ, again, look at the gospel, and that should result in you starting to obey him. Starting to walk in the good works that he prepared for you to walk in. Start sharing our material possessions. Start doing good. Start, starting, you know, start with this sacrifice of thanksgiving in light of all that he's done for you. And also live a new and pleasing life to him. Verse 17, hold fast by obeying church leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. See, another way in which we hold fast is through obedience to leaders that God has placed over us. And obey has this kind of notion of trusting and following, and submit has this idea of giving way, sort of like you would do uh, maybe uh, in traffic. You could give way and submit. Now, this doesn't sit well with individualistic cultures like ours. We think we shouldn't have to follow anyone except ourselves, that we are sort of the end all. We shouldn't be the ones to have to give way. But here the command is to obey and to submit to leadership. And let's be honest, there's a reason that this command is given. This command assumes that, yeah, you're going to disagree at times with, with leadership and those uh, under them. Yeah, that's, that's indeed a possibility that these disagreements can happen. Uh, if, 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 I mean, it might even be a frequent occurrence. But God wants us to know what to do and how to hold fast to Christ in light of uh, these circumstances. It says, obey and submit. When these things inevitably occur, are you going to obey and submit 
to hold fast, not to hold fast to Jesus Christ. Will that be your response? Will that be my response? Now, I, I do believe there are legitimate matters of conscience and instances of leadership doing clearly unbiblical things, spiritual abuse and whatnot. Yes, these things ought to be challenged and not tolerated. I mean, the author of Hebrews wouldn't want uh, them to, for example, submit to the authority if it went against what he just wrote, right? That there are times not to obey and to challenge. This doesn't uh, you know, mean that we're to be mindless. It doesn't mean that we're not to bring up alternative views and have discussions with leadership or anything like that. It's not dictatorship or where, where there's spiritual ab- abuse. It's not an, you know, an absolute rule. They're under shepherds. It's always going to be consistent with Scripture. But what I find to be the case more often than not, in my experience, uh, more often than not, the problem is that I want to run the world and have little faith in God's discernment of who he placed over me. Sort of mindset, it's never the mindset of one who's looking to hold fast to Jesus Christ. One who holds fast to the promise of that guaranteed future. They're just fine submitting to their authority that God put above them. They know deep in their heart there's nothing that can be done that can take away that promise. They are fine submitting to authority And so they can have their head held high and obey and submit to leaders in in certain matters. And moreover, it says that there's benefits for us. This is involved uh, or related to holding fast. The author says the leadership is watching over your soul. They care about you. They care about your spiritual health. They don't want to see you not hold fast to Christ. This idea of watching over has notions of alertness, wakefulness. There's there's an intent wakefulness about it. Leaders ponder our spiritual health. Some of them perhaps ponder your spiritual health more than you do. And they're charged to do so. And it says they must give an account quite serious business. We We ought to be a bit more thankful for those watching out over us. Want to hold tightly to Christ? Respect those he's placed over you. Submit and obey to them. You know, these these leaders are, are human too. They will give an account before God, but look at what it says. Let them do this, uh, that is, watch over your souls with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The motivation then is an extra set of eyes on your spiritual health from joyful leaders. That's the ideal that's the, that's the ideal, and certainly such an ideal with wise, biblically qualified leaders will help us hold fast. Don't go against that. Embrace that. That is a means that God has given us to hold fast. To, that's the instructions to submit and to obey those he placed over us. Next we see uh, we hold fast by praying for others. Verse 18, pray for us. Uh, He says, and I urge you to do this all the more. There's even an urging here to to continue to pray even more. Uh, So the author of Hebrews, he's asking the readers to pray for him. This is a common feature of of letters. We see it in Romans and Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Uh, And we can have to be tempted to downplay this as sort of a mere formality of closing out a letter. Uh, but, But I would say this, know that every single word in Scripture is inspired and useful. Moreover, uh, some of the final instructions is a call to pray, you know, as, as this ending of this letter, pray for me. It's not indicative of it being unimportant, but probably indicative of it being really important. 
This is some of the last information the author relays. Pray. Prayer in the Christian life is always a worthwhile way in which we hold fast to Christ. In this case, the author is asking for the readers to pray specifically for him. Thus, we can infer a a meaning of not just prayer in general, but specifically prayer for others. And isn't that something interesting to consider from all of this? That part of me holding fast to Christ is me praying for others. Now, I'm speaking a little more anecdotally here, but when I'm struggling through the Christian life, and I'm a little tempted to give up, um, thinking of someone else and praying for someone else has a way of setting me right. It reorients me. It reminds me again of the new life I have. Remember that new life is not self-centered. It involves sharing and thinking, thinking of others. Praying for others is another reminder of that, that new life that Christ has given me. But, uh, you know, like our, our new life, it's, it's centered on God and others, not primarily ourselves. So don't neglect praying for others in your fight. Don't neglect praying for others uh, in your, your life of holding fast to Christ. Paul says this in closing out Ephesians right after discussing the full armor of God, right? This is like war language. That is the way we combat evil forces that we face in this life. He says, Ephesians 6 verse 18, with, this is kind of wrapping it up, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. It is part of the battle. Yes. And friends, I confess I don't pray enough. I myself neglect the prayer room and, and monthly Thursday night uh, prayer meetings that I often don't show up at unless it's kind of convenient for me. In our corporate prayer that sometimes I don't show up at unless I'm asked to pray. And even sometimes personal prayer. But if we're holding fast, we need to be praying particularly for one another. So, so friends, come out to our prayer night. Hold me accountable. I want to see you guys there. Come to our corporate prayer meetings. Start your own prayer meetings with friends and family. Pray, pray, pray for one another, particularly on behalf of one another. This is a glorious tool that God has given, given us in order to help both, both one another hold fast to Jesus Christ. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect that at all. Here's something else we see. We see that holding, uh, hold, you hold fast by means of a good conscience and desiring honorable conduct. Verse 18, we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Look at what the, uh, the author is saying about himself. He's saying that he is indeed sure and confident that his conscience is good and right. He is undergoing a process of self-analyzation of his conscience, his motives, desires, and he's convinced that he's following hard after God. A Christian, one holding fast to Christ, does this sort of self-analyzation. Frequently, they ought to. Uh, The conscience here, it's it's a God-given innate discernment used for this self-judging. 
Here the author says he is sure that he has a good conscience. And look, if we're told to hold fast to Christ, our consciences, they need to be in proper order. We need to have this same measure of certainty. We can't be harboring secret sins and having secret motives and even being in a state of just, ah, I'm just unsure about this thing. No, the language here is one of certainty. We are sure that we have good consciences. And sometimes I think we like to minimize sort of this word conscience and self-reflection to something that children do when they steal candy from the store and feel a little guilty about it, you know, like watching sitcom kind of stuff. But in reality, the great writers of the scriptures themselves say, I want to be sure that my conscience is clean. Friends, those things that aren't sitting right in your heart, Maybe those TV shows that that we're watching, those financial practices that we're doing, the gossip that we engage in, maybe even those things that we really uh, sort of seared our conscience about, like gluttony, the white lie, whatever it may be, make sure your conscience is right. Hold fast to Christ. Look at the scope that the author has in mind about his honorable conduct. He says, in all things, not just some, in all things, the author doesn't want to bring any kind of reproach on the gospel through any sort of sinful behavior. He wants to live a complete and honest life that is right. He wants to live and conduct himself in a way uh, that it it says in all things he wants to act honorably. A holistic approach. Sometimes... We fail at holding fast because we are holding fast to some other things that we should probably be letting go of. Friends, the the Christian life, it's an all or nothing. Holding fast to Christ means total holding fast. It's not like, you know, this is like holding fast, like I am falling off of a cliff holding fast. This isn't like, here's my pinky, God. This is holding fast, clenching tightly in in a holistic way. All that you are. Strong grasp. Brothers and sisters, self-analyze today in the way that, this is, that the author of Hebrews does. Make sure your conscience is right before the Lord and that you, you, you desire to conduct yourself honorably in all of your life, every area. For the sake of holding fast to Christ, would you, in your hearts, come clean? Would you let the grace of God wash over your conscience and and repent, that is, turn, turn from those dishonorable things, big and small, that you might be harboring? Turn from them once again and to to the cross of grace? You see, not harboring these things and acting honorably with a good conscience is a sign, again, that your heart is new and that it belongs to Him. It's a sign that you're holding fast to Christ and to the gospel truth, which covers all sin. We also see that holding fast, uh, you hold fast by desiring fellowship with other believers. Verse 19, and I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. There's a particular urging to pray for the author that he may be restored to the Hebrew people sooner. A desire for fellowship that the author has. 
See, part of holding, holding fast to Christ is remaining in fellowship. And, and this has been a theme throughout Hebrews. Recall chapter 3, verse 13, the author tells him, encourage one another every day so long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or just two chapters ago in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, and And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the reality of the Christian walk, the reality of holding fast to Christ is that it is done together. It is done in fellowship, a spirit of fellowship. And the author wanted to be around these other saints. He wanted to, to, to make sure that he, they, weren't, they were holding fast and that he was holding fast and that they were fellowshipping and rejoicing in the gospel. He wanted to visit these other saints, even those far away. There's something to think about. He had a deep desire for fellowship. He's urging them to pray, not necessarily for success in ministry here, not not in this, this portion at least. In our verse, he is urging them to pray that he might be restored to them sooner. This is a cry of his heart. I want to see you. I want to be with you. And this is the heart of anyone who is holding fast to Christ. One who holds fast to Christ is one who holds fast to fellowship. And some of us have a tough time holding fast to Christ. And might I suggest it's because we neglect this kind of spirit of fellowship. Might it be that we have no desire for deep fellowship? Maybe something nominal, like on the way out you sort of give someone a high five, but that's sort of the extent of it for some. And I think sometimes we're prioritizing individualistic American dream type of thinking, and that's sort of the thing that determines most of our actions. Let me just say, now more than ever, we live in the most isolated and individualistic version of of our country than we ever have before. Rise of television, smartphones, other things have totally disconnected us and changed how we used to do life together. And this is an objective fact by studies. We are more isolated and more individualistic. Let's not pretend that we are not also being attacked by the spiritual forces of this world and that this is somehow not, uh, we're, we're immune to this, we're magically immune to this temptation towards isolation. That we're not somehow susceptible to this. That's, that's a naive thought. That's the opposite of holding fast to Christ, not being very alert. The truth is, if we're on autopilot, Especially in America, we probably neglect fellowship. And so many of us are so quick out the doors on Sunday service. I, I remember this church, and I don't want to you know, bash technology too much here, but there is, there is a correlation. But I, I remember this church uh, had three weekly services, and they were packed. And people used to stay late. My dad uh, used to you know, do, do the work here, clean up and, and all, and lock up the building. And uh, he was here for years, and he had to kick people out uh, of the midweek service because it was 11 o'clock at night, and he needed to go home and eat something. Yeah. And it was so sweet. A desire to fellowship with other believers, it's a sign of spiritual health. It's a sign you're doing your best to hold fast to Christ. So I ask you this morning, 
What are you doing to hold fast to Christ in terms of making sure there is frequent uh, and intentional fellowship in your life? I encourage you to pray about this today and see where the Lord might lead you. Um, because that might look a little different for each of us. We all have different schedules. I'm not being impractical here, you know. But pray about it. See, see, what, he, see what the Lord does, where he leads you. Let's continue on. And uh, this is really the, the benediction, the close here. And it's, it, it really is... Uh, Again, talking about the work of the Lord here. You see verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought uh, up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Again, don't chalk this up to simply a closing sort of uh, you know, mundane benediction. Uh, we sometimes almost read this like a postscript. Like, ah, oh, there's no significance here. But there's deep significance here. I mean, this is describing God as the God of peace of a wholeness, of flourishing. And such a description isn't to be passed over, especially since these readers were undergoing persecution and enormous stress. The author reminds them that in all of this, the God that we have is a God of peace, that you can hold fast to Christ knowing that true peace is coming from God. Not at all unrelated to this idea of, of peace is the idea that God rose the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Remember Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23-25, where it says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds the priesthood permanently. Therefore, he Always, he is able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession from them, uh, for them. Uh, death couldn't prevent this work. The Father raised the Son from the dead, and we are now offered eternal peace. The resurrection guaranteed that salvation forever, that eternal city that they, were, that they longed for. Jesus is the great shepherd watching over us. He is the great mediator doing this work, and he forever lives. What a closing to, to just totally just amplify that our God is indeed a God of peace. He lives forever to inter intercede. He made peace between God and man. Jesus offers human flourishing rooted in the proper relationship to God, recognizing this magnificent work. Again, it's how we hold fast. Ultimately, Jesus Christ's work is the way we hold fast. He has provided Christ to us, and by which Christ we have peace in life. And look again at this description of Jesus, the great shepherd. Isn't it nice to know that we have a great shepherd who's alive, watching out for us, deeply watching over us, alive doing this even now? He's preparing us, he's taking care of us. Knowing that we have a shepherd who, who lives, who, who God provided, is beyond comforting. Be encouraged that the shepherd lives and that the covenant is real and eternal. You can hold fast because God is working in us through Jesus Christ. This is sort of a point that's made earlier, I, I think, but I think it's, it's solidified even more here. Again, uh, verse 20 now, may the God of peace equip you in every good work to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The benediction is clear. Our holding fast to Christ, our doing of these works necessarily depends upon God. 
As mentioned earlier, we should do good. However, who is doing the equipping here? God does the equipping for us to do the good. He doesn't just sort of say his will and say, all right, have fun. He equips us to do his work. When you feel like giving up, know God, uh, if, if you are his, he's equipped you to keep going on, to keep pressing on. He's equipped you to do all of the good works that are pleasing in his sight. And now sometimes we leave it, leave it off there, sort of a little uh, ambiguous and vague, like, oh, how does he equip me? That's kind of strange. Um, and sort of like we go home scratching our head a little bit. However, the scripture doesn't do that. He, it talks about the means, how, how it is he equips us. What, what, what is he, he, uh, what's, what's the means of this equipping? The scripture gives the full story. It says he is working in us. There's some kind of miracle taking place in us, a changing of desires, a giving of love for himself. Indeed, you know, we love him because he first loved us. He's the initiator doing this work in us all the time. And, and God lives inside us. And he's prompting us to do certain things, and he's guiding you into doing a work that's, that's pleasing. But all of this, it says, is done according to the verse. It says, through Jesus Christ. Again, if you are simply trying to brute force these instructions, it will not work. It will not work. If you are trying to in the flesh without looking to the glorious cross that has completely done the work in which God looks upon us and says, I am satisfied. If, if you don't have that view, you're doing it wrong. You'll fail at holding fast without letting the complete work of Christ wash over you. You will not continue to hold, hold fast. If you think for a millisecond that, that these works that we're presenting please God without Christ, we're mistaken. Again, the righteousness of man is filthy rags. It is by remaining in Christ and in his work. Now, indeed, we play some, some sort of part here. I think the scripture makes that clear. The verse doesn't deny that you do the good. The verse says, in fact, that it is you being equipped to do his will. But it is only because God is working in you through the powerful work of Christ. You see what this is? You see what Christ has enabled? It's a divine redemption of that, that which we were supposed to be, pleasing to the Lord. It's making us useful and pleasing again. It's God smiling upon us because, because of the restored relationship through Jesus Christ. You see, this, this good that we're doing, this human flourishing, it is not independent from the work of Jesus Christ, but reliant upon it, totally dependent upon Jesus. Remember, Jesus says you have to be like a child, dependent to come into the kingdom of heaven. Or remember, again, John 15, verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in me, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let this idea of the supremacy of Christ, that, that it's been spoken about the entire book of Hebrews, captivate you. Let it drive you to do what is pleasing in the sight of God. It is through Christ, through, through accepting this gospel, through embracing this gospel, that any good you do would ever be pleasing to him. Not apart from Christ. Never apart from Christ. 
Let it drive you as you consider these things. Let that work that's ha- that it says is happening within you, let it happen. As you ponder Christ, as you rely on Christ, it's mysterious, I know, but it is the way it works. You can hold fast to Christ because he's given you the word. Look at this. Uh, But I urge you, brethren, bear with uh, this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Again, more final instructions. And, And again, we have urgent at that. I urge you. The writer urges them to do something. What are they told to do? To bear with this word of exhortation. It is a reminder to patiently examine all that has been said. Now, it's clear Hebrews is inspired. And this letter was divinely given instructions by which the true elect were encouraged and held fast. So so what's our takeaway then? We also have the inspired word of God to aid us in holding fast to Christ. God has graciously revealed himself and his perfect thoughts with us. And this is so important. You know, this isn't like a a New York Times bestseller. This is God speaking. And and how dare we not bear with that patiently and examine it with scrutiny and and love that. Recall in, in the verse it said that this is something to bear with, something we patiently consider. And so often we don't hold fast to Christ, I think, because we don't hold fast to our Bibles that he's graciously, graciously given us. Very easily one can fall into false teachings, and you know, we have all sorts of biases, but the holy book of God, the, the, his word that he's provided with us, if we patiently bear with that and read that and consider it, we can too hold fast. Friends, if we're going to hold fast, we need to take up the gift he's given us, the word of God, and bear with it and study it. Study it. Push your mind. Patiently bear with it. This is the most important thing. It's part of uh, what it means to hold fast to Christ. Again, sometimes we're ready to give up. It's simply because, uh, you know, we've given up our Bibles. Read that gift and consider it. Deeply, that is a means of of our preservation, a means of holding fast to Christ. 23, almost done. We have uh, two more verses here. Yeah, two more verses after this. So, Um, You can hold fast to Christ because he's provided hope. Uh, so, So take a look at verse 23. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Uh, Now the author shares some good news with them all. Timothy has been released, presumably uh, from from prison for sharing the gospel. Uh, Now, to those who are beginning to experience persecution themselves, the Hebrews, this news was a great reminder that God is indeed in control. This news produced hope and trust that the Lord was overseeing all things through this deliverance that was shared with them. And and by the way, this is not to say that if Timothy wasn't released, that God somehow wasn't in control. That's not the point here. Uh, But the point is this, nonetheless, this release was taken as a joyous occasion of hope, which came about through God's sovereign planning. It happened. The release took place. A temporal reminder that God has given us that he is faithful, that, that was given to the Hebrews for building up their faith and trust that God is indeed the sovereign ruler over the world. A hope that he's in control. Friends, indeed, we look ultimately to heaven, that future city. However, let us also learn that God is a real active force in space-time, bringing about his will, producing hope through, through 
temporal victories that are tangible and that we can see. And God will send these reminders of hope uh, just when we need them. Uh, let us, let's look then for signs of his good sovereign plan going forth. You know, God wasn't done with Timothy, Timothy so we released them. And, and watching God's plan unfold brought hope and encouragement to those who heard about it. These occasions are signs that we have a God who holds the entire future, both the near future and that eternal kingdom that awaits us. There is something about meditating on the faithfulness of God and the testimonies like these that produce hope in us. Share these stories. The author of Hebrews wanted to encourage everyone by sharing about Timothy's release. Simple. And, And he wanted to invoke praise to God. If you have a story about God's faithfulness in your life, share it. God may just use it to produce hope. This is, again, uh, sort of related to that point about fellowship as well. Remember, uh, even just a verse ago, all glory be to God. Right? The, the idea is to invoke this sort of praise to God. If you have any news that makes God look good, speak up, because I want to hear about it. And I'm sure others here do too. We want to we have our faith built up. We want to be encouraged by one another. We need to hear and have, have hope producing us from tangible testimonies of God's faithful, sovereign hand. Celebrate those victories in the lives of, of saints around you. Again, this goes back, again, that fellowship and camaraderie, and hope comes, I think, through watching God's faithfulness in the lives of, of others as well, and hearing those stories. If God, again, has done a work in you, if you've seen His sovereign hand recently, I encourage you, share it with someone after service. That could be a means, something they can hold, hold on to, to to help them hold fast to Jesus, to see his faithfulness here in time. And the author of Hebrews shared this sort of news. Why shouldn't we? Verse 24, you can hold fast because God's provided the church and fellowship. Again, greet all of your leaders and all of the saints. Those from Italy greet you. And we now encounter sort of like a final greet, greeting, a proper salutation to both all the leaders and all the saints. Again, it's, it's easy to sort of write off these closings of, of a letter as not significant. However, these greetings, they're really symbolic of the love that characterizes all true believers of the camaraderie between the author and the audience and the church there. There's a universal love that the author wants to display towards everyone who is saved. And as as mentioned earlier, we, we are to desire fellowship, to desire this fellowship in the Christian church, and God's provided it. It's good news. God has given us one another. Now, there's another interesting element here. And this probably applies to the past verse we went over as well as as on uh, the author wanting to visit. It's clear then, if the author wants to visit them, the author isn't with them. Yet he wants to visit them, as implied in the prior verse, and he cares for them deeply. And is presumably cared for by them. And, And additionally, the author mentions that the church from Italy greets them. Now, it could be the author wrote from Italy, Or it could be that there were some friends from Italy that were with the author, and the author's conveying a message. In any case, the message remains largely the same. There is to a universal church, and a universal love, which Christians ought to engage in. Yes, the local church is indeed very special. There was a special daily relationship between the folks in Ephesus and Corinth and these other churches. But every letter I read, 
I see a sense of urgency to be with others and to encourage them. And there is distance that is implied. There is something, you know, there's, I guess I'll say this. There's something special about, remember that video we got from Louis Dooley? Right? Didn't it just bring a smile to your face? Didn't it encourage you? There is something about reaching out to those who are distant. And I think it has been horribly neglected. There's something special about those Lewis Dooley videos and hearing updates for our missions, uh, our, our missions updates from Pastor Gilson about those in the Azores and our brothers and sisters across the world and these different parts. And I believe indicative of holding fast to Christ is also loving these brothers. Moreover, there's something to be said about wanting to visit them, as the author did. Uh, it's, you know, it's becoming of the heart of a Christian to seriously desire fellowship with those, even far off. Now, I wouldn't dogmatically say everyone needs to visit everyone. That's a bit impractical. But I, wouldn't do- I would dogmatically say everyone needs to love everyone deeply. And I would pray about how that ought to be considered. Lastly, the grand finale. <laughs> Verse 25, grace be with you all. Grace, God's unmerited favor, particularly in the, in the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, that, that love displayed on the cross. Friends, this whole letter has a theme of Christ is better than everything, therefore hold fast. Consider the great gift of Jesus Christ, the grace that has been given to you through him, not of your own work, but of, God, of God's work. The author closes the letter reiterating the significance of this grace and its availability to all. Grace be with you all. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence of the, uh, to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's Hebrews 4.16. A throne of grace. God is a God of great grace. Having trouble holding fast to Christ, remember that grace. Remember his high priestly work that he's done. Remember his superiority above all else. Draw close to God through Christ and then just be thankful for him. The Christian life is a constant drawing to the throne of grace by means of Christ. It's a constant worship and thankfulness to, to, unto God for Jesus. Holding fast to Christ it means recognizing that Christ Uh, who Christ is and the grace that's offered and that it's indeed better than all else. And living in light of that, we hold fast to Christ and we hold fast through Christ. Parting challenge, um, consider today how much God loves you by providing his son Jesus. Again, if this is your first time or your hundredth time or your millionth time, Consider it still. It's the means by which we hold fast. And today, will you evaluate every area in your life? Remember that that holistic approach. Every area of your life and see if it is giving a faithful Christian testimony, pointing back to that understanding of who Jesus is. So I pray you all do that this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your scripture that you've so graciously given to us. God, we just praise you and honor you for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ on the cross, that we were sinners, 
Yet you saw us and provided for us a Savior who took on our sin, took on our punishment and our consequences, and then rose from the grave forever, making intercession for us. Lord, we love you. We pray we would live in light of that love as a reality, as a reality that it is, and let it grow ever deeper. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.